What does the Bible really say about suffering? Spoken by Pastor Peter on. When was the last time you actually suffered? Think about that for a moment. For some of you, you just know. Some of you are going through something right now that's causing you to suffer, right? But for some of us, you might have to think for a little bit, right? For me, the last time I actually suffered was back in June, late June. And what happened was that I tested positive for COVID. I was at family camp with our church people at Program Pines, and I wasn't feeling well, and then I tested positive for COVID. And uh, the first couple days wasn't so bad, actually. It was actually bearable. And uh, I actually, you know, I quarantined myself, but I was okay. But when I drove home, I drove home by myself. My kids weren't in the car because I didn't want to infect them. And, uh, and as I drove home, it just started to get worse. My throat just flared up. I could barely swallow because it was so painful. Uh, it prevented me from like really eating or drinking water because my throat was hurting. But yet it, there was this burning sensation. I couldn't stop coughing. That was the problem. I, was, I had so much mucus that was coming up. And every time I cough, it felt like my throat was vibrating and the pain was just, it was really excruciating. I I had body aches, I had headaches, I had fever, and I'm trying to drive home. By the time I got to my house at, at, in the afternoon on Friday, I was, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And so what I did was I called a doctor that I knew in this church. He's an ER doctor in Englewood. And I just felt like I needed some antibiotics to deal with my sore throat. So I called him and I said, Anthony, can, I, can you prescribe me some amoxicillin? And he said, well, you just tested positive for COVID. Antibiotics is not going to help. So no, I'm not gonna prescribe you. I didn't like that answer. Because <laughs> at least it's a placebo. Like, let me just believe it's gonna make me better. He said, what you should do is just get some cough medicine over the counter, like Robitussin, send one of your family members to get it for you. And so Kayla did, she went and she got it for me. And I took that, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It made it worse. Like, it was worse. I, I coughed more than I've ever coughed. And so I called him again, and I said, listen, it made it worse. I need something. And I said, do you think I should go to the ER? And he, said, so he asked me this one question, can you breathe? And for a split second, man, I want to lie. I want to say, no, I can't breathe. I'm struggling to breathe. Because I know if I said that, I knew he was going to say, go to the ER. But I can't do that. I said, yeah, I could breathe. He said, well, then don't go to the ER. Stay at home. And he was firm. I could tell he was getting annoyed. He said, just write it out. Every, a lot of people have had this. I've had it. It's going to be okay. Just write it out. He hung up the phone. I wasn't happy with that answer, so I called another doctor in this church. And I just said, I think I need to go to the ER. What do you think? And he said to me, can you breathe? I said, yeah. He said, just write it out then. Oh, man, I was so upset about that. And then, uh, and then I called another doctor. I'm a little shameful to admit it, but I called another doctor. And he was a lot more comforting to me. And he said, you know, there is this medicine that Pfizer just came out with called Plaxlovid. I wonder if you can get your hands on that. So I was like, oh, wow. So he's like, they're, on they're only provided in hospitals. So I hung up the phone with him, and I called Anthony back up again. And I said, Anthony, do they have Plaxlovid in Englewood? And he said, they only give it to people who are literally dying. And he said, just wait it out. It'll be okay. That's so indicative of many of us when we suffer, isn't it? 
we treat it like this foreigner or this foreign thing. And we're like, we got to get rid of this. We got to figure out a way to make it stop. We got to figure out a way to accelerate it so that it doesn't last so long. And so whenever we think about suffering, we naturally have this tendency to believe that it needs to go away because it is not a part of our life. It should not be a part of our lives. But yet suffering is a part of life. It's like a season, right? We're in summer right now. Fall is upon us. Can't wait for the fall. But then the winter months will come. None of us, if we live here, you can't escape winter in New Jersey. I mean, you can go to Florida and spend, hang out with, with Jenny for the winter time and sort of escape the winter. But if you live in New Jersey, you can't escape the winter no matter how hard you try. And when you think about suffering, you got to realize that suffering is just a season in life. It is something that we all must go through. Why? Because we live in a broken and sinful world. And because we live in a broken and sinful world, you and I are going to suffer. We're all going to suffer. All right? So what I want to do today as we continue in this series, I want to talk to you about what does the Bible really teach us about suffering? All right? Not about how do we overcome suffering. I don't think that, I want to just really talk about what does the Bible say about suffering? And we're going to sort of take these three salient points that the Bible teaches us. There are a lot more points we can cover, but these three salient points about suffering that I hope that for many of you that are here today, that you would be open to, not excited to, because that's not normal, but that you'd be open to suffering like a mother wakes up in the middle of the night. You think a mom is excited to wake up in the middle of the night or a father in the middle of the night to care for their crying baby? There are no parent that looks forward to that, but they're willing to do it. There's a reason why they're willing to suffer and not sleep. And I think for many of us, we've lost that in terms of our relationship with God. And Jenny really talked about that even during her interview. I want to talk about that. Pastor Mike, he, he shared, Michael Karen was here back in June when I had COVID and he preached a sermon on suffering. I thought he did a really great job just laying down the foundation. But today, we're going to really hit what does the Bible really teach us about suffering? And that's what I want to share with you. So before we do that, can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? God, I pray that you'll just be with us and, and help us and help me, Lord, to communicate this message uh, in a way, God, where it would really reach the hearts of everyone that is here in this room, but those who are watching. God, teach us how important it is for us to suffer, that it's a part of Christian maturation. And God, I pray that you would gently rebuke, encourage, challenge those in this room that don't want to suffer for you. Pray you'd break them today, the way you broke me this week as I was preparing this. And God, that because we love you, that we would be willing to suffer for you no matter what it takes. I thank you, God, there are people like Jenny and others who are living that out, and their actual in the incarnational representation of what it looks like to suffer for you. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it would indeed be pleasing unto you, and it's in your name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so what does the Bible say about suffering? Here's the first thing. It's good. Suffering is good, all right? The Bible makes it very clear that suffering is, clear, is good. Now, I just want to just say one thing, though, before we go a little bit deeper into this. There is suffering that is caused as a direct result of you and I participating in a sin. That's not good. That's not a good thing, okay? That is not what the Bible says. Well, that's good that you suffered because you've sinned. No, 
That God never wants us to suffer in that way, and that's why God doesn't want us to participate in sin, because many times sin will lead to suffering, right? And so, like, what are some examples? I mean, I can give you a myriad of them, but like, if you struggle with jealousy today, if you actually struggle with jealousy, and you know how you struggle with jealousy? If you always find yourself comparing yourself to everyone else, and you always think the other person has more than you. If you struggle with jealousy, many times you'll have a lot of issues with hate, with anger, with resentment, with bitterness, Guess what? You're gonna suffer if that is what you're experiencing in life. That is a sin that you are participating in and it's causing you to become a very bitter person, all right? That is not a good type of suffering that God is talking about. If you are struggling with lust, a very easy example, and you end up committing adultery on your spouse, your spouse may choose to divorce you, okay? That is not the good kind of suffering that the Bible is talking about. Although here's what I do believe. I do believe because we serve an amazing God who is the ultimate above every other thing that no matter what kind of suffering we go through, whether it's been precipitated because of the sin that you and I participated in, God can still redeem it. God can still breathe life in the brokenness and in our own sinful ways as we participate in it. He would never want us to participate in it because he knows the kind of suffering that you and I would go through, but God could even use that to bring us closer to him. Can I get an amen to that? That's the gospel message. So no matter what kind of form of suffering that you might be going through, I want you to know today that God can really come and redeem the things in your life that often look like death. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But the Bible makes it very clear that when you and I choose to suffer for Jesus, it is good. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Let's look at this passage. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you and I choose to suffer for Jesus Christ, what it does is that it builds perseverance, it builds character, and it builds hope. It's one of the best ways in how God really forms us into being more like him. And so when you and I choose to suffer for Jesus, I know it's not an easy thing when we think about suffering for Jesus. I know many of us, and this was me, that's why I know you struggle with this, because I used to struggle with this. I know like we always say, God, only go like this far with you. I can't go that far, because if I go that far, man, you might call me to like the Middle East. I don't want to do that. Like you might call me to like live a life of poverty like Mother Teresa. And so we think about these things and we're saying, I'll go this far, but I won't go all the way. And that's really sad because suffering is good because it says right here, Paul says, when you and I suffer for Jesus, it builds perseverance, character, and hope. How many of you need some hope today in your life? How many of you are literally experiencing like a poverty level of hope? It's probably because you're not willing to suffer for Jesus because the way we gain hope is not God blessing us with stuff, but is our willingness to suffer for somebody we deeply love and are committed to. Psalms 119.71, I love this. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I love the author of the psalm. He's saying, when I suffered for you, God, guess what it helped me to do? It helped me to obey you. How do you want to obey God? You think it's easy to obey God? One of the best ways in how you can grow in obedience to God is not just be determined with your own self-will 
A lot of times we think that's how we obey God. No, we obey him as we suffer for him. That's why suffering is good. Look at what it says about Jesus in Hebrews 5.8. Look at what it says in Hebrews 5.8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Even the son of God, Jesus Christ, learned obedience from the things he suffered. And so how much more important is that for you and I, that we be willing to suffer for God? so that we can grow in obedience. I love Isaiah 61a, look what God says to the people of God. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for the suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. When God sees his people willingness to suffer for them, for him, he will reward you. It is a good thing. So in the Bible, suffering is a good thing. When you and I are willing to suffer for God, it is a good thing. The problem with us today in the culture in which you and I live in today, we have suburban faith. We've suburbanized our faith. What is suburban faith? I just came up with, like, here's the definition of it. This is what I I think it is. Suburban faith is you only go to God when you suffer. That's it. But when life isn't full of suffering you completely forget about him. Suburban faith is you thinking God is just here to comfort you, protect you, and prosper you. That's suburban faith. Suburban faith believes that God will never cause you to suffer in life. That's suburban faith. Does it sound familiar? Are you an incarnational representation of somebody with suburban faith that you don't want to suffer for God? Like, why though? Why? Because I think deep down inside, you guys know what love is. And you know that a big part of love is this aspect of suffering and sacrifice. You know that. That's why we love those Korean dramas on Netflix. Why do you watch those things all the time? Why do you watch it like, some people watch like 16 episodes in like two days. How are you able to do that? Right, how are you able? You know what they've really, you know what K-dramas have done? They have tapped into the, the, our deepest desire to want to be loved. And how is it always shown in those Korean dramas? When somebody falls in love, what do they do? They're willing to sacrifice and suffer whatever it takes for that person, even if it means not being with them because it might be bad for them. Right? I mean, that's like everything. And you watch that, and you're sitting at home, and even though your spouse is next to you, and you're saying, I want to be loved like that. I want to be loved in a way where somebody is willing to sacrifice for me at that level. Metro, I want you to know that the story of God is the ultimate Korean drama. It really is. It really is. Because God loves you so much that he came in the flesh, gave up his powers, died for you on the cross. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants to be in a relation with you. Don't you get that? So then if God loves you like that, why aren't you willing to suffer for him? What is going on in your faith right now that is causing you to say, I don't want to suffer for you, God. I just want you to comfort me, keep me safe, and prosper me. There's something so wrong with our faith today. Because when you look at the Bible, it says it's good. I love Paul. Look at what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians 129, this is what he says. He says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege and suffering for him. I mean, God convicted me this week with this passage. I never see suffering for Jesus as a privilege. 
I said, God, what is it going to take for me to get there? Because I want to know you like that. I want to love you like that. I don't want to just love you so that you can protect me and keep me comfortable, keep my kids comfortable, so that we can just prosper. That's a suburban faith. I want to know you. I want, I want to know you like that young man, wherever he is in Southeast Asia, that was given millions, that was given millions of potential dollars by his uncle, saying, if you go back to your parents, I'll give this to you. And he said, no, 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 no. Money is not the ultimate. Jesus says, I'm okay. I don't need my family because I found a love, a God who loves me so much that he was willing to die for me on the cross and raise from the dead. And so because of that, I gladly suffer. Is that your faith today? And if it's not, what's going on with you? Why have you allowed your faith to not mature and go backwards and you've embraced an Americanized version of faith? Well, you don't want God to lead you to a season of suffering. Listen, God is not there and he wants you to suffer. He doesn't want you to suffer. But because you and I live in a broken world, we will suffer. And you know, when I think about this, this is what's crazy about it. Do you know the greatest amount of our suffering? It's probably going to come from Christians. Because Jesus' greatest foes weren't the Greeks. It was the same believing Jewish people, that, that way, they, way they had the same faith. And so are you willing to suffer? Because if you're not, that's not good. Because the Bible says there's so much good. You build character, you build perseverance, you build a hope. You learn obedience from the things you suffer. 2 Corinthians 4.10, look what it says. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Suffering is good. I hope by, by, when we pray, I hope that all of you will be open to saying, Jesus, I will suffer for you. And you will lay down your desire to wanting God to comfort you, keep you safe, and prosper you. Because the greatest prosperity that you and I can have is to know a love that's deeply rooted in our ability to sacrifice and suffer for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you willing to suffer today? There are so many different things in how we can. I, think in one, I don't think any of us are going to be like, it might, like this young man in Southeast Asia. Maybe it will be. Maybe some of you have, your parents have different faiths and they will excommunicate you. That can happen. That's suffering for sure. Another way in how you can suffer for Jesus is take a biblical stance that's not popular in culture today. Meaning, you need to be open about it. You don't need to post it on social media, but when you're hanging out with your friends... Why are you so silent? Why, why, why do you let them be so vocal about certain things that they believe in that's sort of congruent to society today? Why are you so quiet? Why can't you share the way they share their thoughts and their opinions with you? Why can't you share yours? Why can't you take a stand and be willing to embrace whatever ramifications that might cause? Why can't you learn to forgive an unforgivable person in your life that has deeply hurt you? Because do you know the consequences of that is tough? Bitterness and in your own life. Maybe for the next 30 days you begin to pray a prayer of blessing upon an unforgivable person in your life and you let God lead you to forgive that person. Maybe a way in how you suffer is you open up an unhealed wound 
that's happened in your life. And as you get older, those unhealed wounds are something you really want to just kind of forget about or not even think about because you don't know what's going to happen to your life when you revisit those wounds. Some of you in this room, you need to revisit those wounds and embrace whatever suffering comes as a result of it. Because I guarantee you, if you do, God can bring healing and deep growth in your life, a perseverance, a character, and a hope, and an obedience, if you do. Maybe for some of you, God will cause you to uh, uh, be very generous. Maybe some of you are doing well financially. Maybe not just giving 10. Can I challenge some of you if you're making good money? Give 50% of your money away next year in 2023. Some of you can still give 50% of your money away and still live well. Maybe you just got to lower your standard of living so that you can be more generous to bless the things of God, to advance his kingdom here in this world. That's suffering. Maybe for some of you, you can welcome somebody in our church who needs a home for a time. That could be a way in how you do it. It's not easy, right, to have somebody live with you, but that's the way. That's what the Church of Acts did. Maybe for some of you, you're in a position of power in your company and you can hire somebody who needs a job right now. Maybe it'll be hard because you have to train them. You don't know if they're going to do well. It's so much easier to just hire somebody who's got the qualifications. But maybe you can pour into someone. You can go through some season of suffering and help somebody to gain work, to help them. There are plenty of ways. And now you can choose to suffer for Jesus Christ. You just have to be willing to. When you do that, in many ways, it authenticates our faith when we're willing to suffer for Jesus. And my fear is that because we're Americans, because we live in this country, that all of you have suburbanized your faith. God doesn't want you to do that. Because when you do that, you're not gonna be able to see many, much of what God's gonna do in your life. Don't ever underestimate what God can do for your life. Don't ever let the enemy breathe lies into your ear saying you can't do nothing. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants. God can use you to impact and transform people's lives and the world. Second thing the Bible teaches us about suffering is that it leads us towards God's comfort. Okay, now listen to me on this. There's a big difference for praying for comfort all the time because you love comfort and God actually comforting you when you're actually suffering in life for him. God has a huge heart for us. He loves us so much and that was perfectly, again, demonstrated on the cross. God loves us and when we choose to suffer for him, you know what's gonna happen? God is gonna comfort us when we choose to suffer from. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.7. 2 Corinthians 1.7. We are confident that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. God will give you comfort. Hebrews 2.18, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. It's beautiful. One of the most beautiful passages, Matthew 11.28 to 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When you and I choose to suffer for God, it leads you towards his comfort. How does God comfort us? How does God comfort you? You ever think about that? Some of us, we think God comforts us by preventing bad things from happening in our lives or to like, allow suffering to end really quick. That's what we think. No, that's not how God comforts us. You know how God comforts us? He enters into your pain. That's how God comforts you. He doesn't help you to exit out of it. He enters into it. This is really important, all right? If you ever want to gain a robust theology of of God, focus on the actions of Jesus. For some of you people, Bible nerds out there, and I know we have some here, get like a blue pen, go through the four gospels, underline every action of Jesus. Not his words, his actions. 
Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Meaning, if you focus on the actions of Jesus Christ, you will begin to learn things about God that you'll learn even greater and deeper things than just the words that Jesus teaches in the gospel. One of the best examples of this is John 11, 32 to 35. It's one of my favorite passages because Lazarus is dead. It's one of Jesus' best friends. Mary and Martha tells Jesus, I need you to come. Can you come and heal? They know Jesus can heal them of his sickness, but Jesus doesn't. He waits till three days after he's dead and he goes to them. And he goes to them, look what happens. And focus on the actions of Jesus here in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus, in just moments, was going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. He knew that Mary and Martha, those tears of sorrow would be turned to tears of joy. But what does he do? He enters into their pain rather than trying to exit them out of it and he weeps with them. When you and I suffer for God, how he comforts us that he doesn't help you to exit out of it, he enters into it and he's there with you. Saying, I'm there with you every step of the way. That's true love. True love isn't somebody preventing bad things from happening to you. True love is when that person is willing to stay with you and not just tell you they love you, but they're there with you entering into your pain. Many years ago, my son fell really hard. He was like four years old and he had a deep laceration. He fell and hit the stairs of our home. Deep laceration under here and we knew it was bad. We took him to the ER at the Hackensack, uh, the, uh, the children's hospital. And, and you know he was flustered. Uh, Jenny was definitely flustered. I was as well because we knew it was a deep laceration. The doctor looked at it and said, well, that's going to need some stitches. And when he said that, Christian just started going crazy. He started crying. He's like, no, 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 I don't want the doctor to touch me because he knew it's going to require a needle. The doctor left. He was getting ready. And I just sat with him and I said, Christian, listen, buddy. I love you. I will never let anyone do anything to you that's just going to hurt you. I'm going to let this doctor do this to you and I know it's going to hurt. But I said, the thing is, I'm gonna let him do it because I know it's gonna make you better. I said, I promise you, Christian, you're gonna be on my lap. I'm gonna hold you the entire way. That doctor stuck the needle because they had to numb his chin, a needle in his chin, and he didn't even cry. Why? Because I entered his pain. I held him, and I didn't try to stop the doctor, but I held him, and I entered his pain, and I journeyed with him. Many of you don't even know that comfort. I want you to know that comfort, that when you choose to suffer, when you're in a season of suffering in your life, God, don't think that God will comfort you by taking it away. God enters into it, and he gives you the strength to endure. And so suffering leads you towards the comfort of God. I just love the fact that that's how God comforts me, that he enters into not tries to get me out of my pain. That's true love, true love. Third and last thing, the Bible teaches us that suffering makes us more like Jesus. And that's why suffering is good. It makes us more like Jesus. Luke 9, 21 to 24, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. 
He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. He's telling his disciples all the suffering he has to go through. Then he says this. He turns to the crowd. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus says, listen, if you want to be more like me, you're going to have to suffer because I'm suffering. There's no way that Jesus suffers the way he did and that we do not suffer if we choose to follow him. We will. Again, it's not because God wants you and I to suffer. It's because we live in a broken world where there's people that want to live contrary to how God wants you to live it. And when that happens, there is a battle and there's evil that flourishes. And when you and I are trying to live in that and trying to do the things that God calls us to do, we will suffer for him. It's just a natural part of it. We become more like Jesus when we do. 1 Peter 2.21, look at what it says here. 1 Peter 2.21, for God called you to do God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Jesus is your example, and you and I must follow in our steps. None of you should look forward to this. None of you should want this, but you should be open to it. That's how your faith becomes real. That's how you know God is here and he's ever present because you love him enough to suffer for him. 2 Timothy 2.9, Jesus, Paul warns us, if you and I choose to live for Jesus, this is what's gonna happen. He says, and because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and I've been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. I hope I can be like Peter and the apostles when they got arrested for preaching the gospel. I hope I can be like them. And I just close with this last passage. Acts chapter five, verses 40 to 41. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Now, what that means is that they were beaten, beaten hard and th- by the religious leaders. They ordered that. They ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. They thought that if they beat them up real bad and they said, don't ever speak about Jesus again, that they'll get it that, okay, I won't mess with Jesus. I won't say this. I won't speak about Jesus on the streets. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. They rejoiced because they counted it worthy, that, they, that God would consider it worthy for them to suffer disgrace and get beaten for the faith of Jesus Christ. When you and I suffer we become more like Jesus when we choose to suffer for Jesus. And I hope that you'll be open to it because suffering is good. It's so good for your faith. It helps you to learn perseverance and character and hope. Teaches you obedience. Suffering can be that good. Suffering will lead us to experience the comfort of God where we can actually see God entering into our pain, not trying to get us to exit out of it. There's something we can learn and grow from in there. And when you and I suffer for Jesus, we become more like him. Earlier this year, um, a friend of mine sent me an email about this woman named Jane. And uh, I didn't know who this person was. And Jane, was a, she, she grew up as a Christian, went to church regularly, and uh, she had a real hard life. And uh, I want you to watch something. She actually was on America's Got Talent, and uh, she goes by the name Nightbird. And I just wanted you to watch this video about Jane in this show. So can we just get the lights? And Isaac, can we please roll to video?
Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're happy you are. What's your name? My name's Jane. When I sing, I go by Nightbird. Oh, that's nice. Nightbird? That's right. Uh, did you sing, do you sing for a living? Um, not, not recently. Where are you from? I'm from Zanesville, Ohio. Okay. How old are you? I'm 30. 30 years old. And the dream is to be a singer. What are you going to be singing for us tonight? I'm singing an original song called It's Okay. It's Okay. Yeah. It is. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. What is It's Okay about? Uh, it's Okay is the story of the last year of my life. All right. And who are you here with? I'm here by myself. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do for a living? Um, I have not been working for quite a few years. I've been dealing with cancer. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. All right. Can I, can I ask you a question? How are you now? Uh, last time I checked, I had some cancer in my lungs, my spine, and my liver. Wow. So you're not okay? Uh, well, not in every way, no. You got a beautiful smile and a beautiful glow, mm -hmm. and nobody would know. Thank you. It's important that uh, everyone knows I'm so much more than the bad things that yes. happen to me. Yes. All right. Sing for us. Good luck. Nightbird. Change my mind. I thought that all my problems they would stay behind. I was a stick of dynamite, and it just was a matter of time, yeah.
it's funny because singers come on and, and, I, and I think about authenticity. You know, when you feel it, when it moves you, that felt like the most authentic thing I have heard this season. That was surprising to you. It was powerful, it was heartfelt, and I think you're amazing. You gave me chills. I mean, your voice is so beautiful to listen to. It was beautiful all the way around. Your voice is stunning. Mm -hmm. It is. Absolutely stunning. And I, I totally agree with what Howie said, you know, about authenticity. There was something about that song after the way you just almost casually told us what you're going through and, oh, you know. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. There are, however, there have been some great singers this year. Um, and I'm not going to give you a yes. I'm going to give you something else. chance of survival, but 2% is not 0%. 2% is something. And I wish people knew how amazing it is. Nightbird passed away uh, March of this year. And uh, a year ago, she wrote a blog. And I'm going to try to keep it together. Because it's so raw and so powerful. Here's what she wrote, and it'll be up there on the screen. I don't remember most of autumn because I lost my mind late in the summer and for a long time after that. I wasn't in my body. I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far. After the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone. But when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall on nights that I could not sleep. I laid in the tub like an insect staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the, title, on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off. Happy to be asleep even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now and I'm barely 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. 
I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, he'll say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned a lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he didn't know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor. Banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at the door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in, and then other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've been called a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayer roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearm. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God, for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one, I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to a God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I've asked for, but it's mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Call me cursed. Call me lost. Call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen. Call me blessed. Sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loads of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not sick, so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon, light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. What I love about Nightbird is that she embraced her pain, her suffering. The rawness of it is so real, isn't it? But at the end, she heard God write a message saying, I'm sad too. God entered into her pain, didn't help her exit out of it. And in the end, she says, I'm chosen, I'm blessed, and I'm sought after. She knew a God in a way that I don't know if many of us will ever know. And so where are you today? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says that when you do, it's gonna 
be good because character, perseverance, and hope will be built in your life. That you're going to become more like Jesus and emulate him as you pick up the cross and that God is going to comfort you, not by exiting you out of that pain, but entering into it. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Let's pray. I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. Wherever you are, this is your time with God, and I want you to get to a place where you can just say, God, if you want to, you don't have to. Don't feel forced to. But for some of you, you've been Christian for a long time, but it's been a suburbanized faith. If you want to get to know the God, the height and depth and width of his love, it's going to require you to sacrifice. So will you sacrifice for Jesus today? Will you say yes to that? And will you sacrifice for our Lord and Savior because he sacrificed everything for you? I'm going to just give you a moment to do that and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, help us to know that it's okay when we choose to suffer for you. That suffering is just before a season. Help us to have the faith that even Jane had, that even in the midst of being diagnosed with cancer over three times, husband leaving her, all of her dreams being dashed to pieces and living an unfortunate, isolated life, that she can still say that she's blessed, chosen, and sought after. She knows a hope and a perseverance and her character that only can come through suffering. And so God, I pray that you'll help us as a church where we would no longer live a life with you where we just want you to comfort us and keep us safe and prosper us, but God, that you would help our faith to mature, that you would give us a passion and desire to want to go deeper in your love where you are no longer just the means to an end, but you are the end. You are the ultimate. You are no longer the penultimate, but the ultimate. And so God, I pray that you'll just be with our church. And for anyone who has, anyone who's going through a season of suffering right now, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just come upon them, enter into their pain, and show them, God, that you're gonna be with them every step of the way. I pray that they would know the power of your countenance upon their life. It's in your name that I pray, amen.